And that environment lends itself to um, negative uh, social, emotional, and spiritual paradigms um, that are contrary to who God created them to be and contrary to God's intent for his creation as a whole. And so what we must do is we must paint an image of what could be for our students' lives, an image of what could be for their lives in order to foster their spiritual development. So this is us casting a vision for them as children of God. It's us saying, you see all of this, this is broken. It's not what God intended. But you were created in the image of God, and he wants to have a continually growing relationship with you, and that relationship is gonna change your life, and it's gonna change the lives of those around you. That's what all that awareness of brokenness versus the Imago Dei, that's what that means. Um, The next one is experiential abiding. We want our teens to learn to hear God's voice. We want them to have the agency to obey God's directions, and we want them to instinctively look for God's action around them. And as a result, they're going to experientially grow in their knowledge of and their faith in the character of God. The next one is their God-given value. We want them to have an inherent awareness of their God-given value that he purposefully and lovingly created them as a uniquely gifted individual with a God-ordained role in the body of Christ, and that he desires a personal relationship with them throughout their entire lives. The next one is continual grace. We want them to understand that God's grace is continual. It is never ending, and there is not anything that they have done or will ever do that will stop that grace, that will ever make them uh, an unreachable cause, a lost cause. We don't want our teens to grow up and think that something that they have done has made them unreachable or unlovable by God. And uh, the last one is biblical literacy. Uh, We do this because we want our kids to have, our teens, to have a basic working knowledge of what the Bible is and how to use the Bible because we know that we're only going to have them for a short period of time. And we pray that this foundation that we've given them will give them the courage to go to another church, wherever it is that they move to, and that when they enter that church and that church opens up the Bible, they won't be intimidated by it. They will feel like, okay, I can... I can do this. I know how to find things in the Bible. I know how to read the Bible. This is, this is not scary to me. Um, because that is going to help them to continue growing in their relationship with God for the rest of their lives. Um, because it's going to help them connect with fellow believers as well. And then our kids' ministry values. Uh, The values that we have for our kids are going to be very similar for our teen values because those things go hand in hand. The first one is that God loves me. We want our our kids to know that God loves them no matter what and that he sent his son to die on the cross for their sins and that he rose three days later and that he wants to have a relationship with them. The next one is that God wants to spend time with me. We want them to know all the different ways that they can spend time with God and that God wants to spend time with them, and we want them to know what it looks like to live out that relationship with God. The third one is that God gave me gifts and values. We want our children to know that God created them as uniquely gifted individuals who have a lot to contribute to the body of Christ, and we want them to understand that they are a valued part of our body and of the body of Christ as a whole, now as they are, as kids, not one day when they're adults. Um, And then the last one is that my parents and my church can help me grow. 
we want them to be surrounded by people who can help them grow in their relationship with God. And that includes their parents and the whole church body. We want to equip those people to help our kids grow spiritually. And so we've seen the results of these values, our kids' ministry values recently, and I wanted to point them out to you. Last year, as we were, uh, as a staff, we were planning our corporate worship services and what they would uh, look like on Sunday mornings. And so we were prayerfully thinking about all of this, um, and we decided to purposefully incorporate several things. So we have the, uh, the kids' ministry video, the verse of the month, and the song of the month with motions. And then we were already incorporating testimonies, um, but we wanted to be sure that those were also available um, for kids. And so each one of those things were added to the worship, worship service with the goal being that the kids would see that they were a valued part of our body and of the body of Christ as a whole. And we wanted them to grow, to, to, to know, sorry, we wanted them to know that worship wasn't just for adults, but it's for kids too. That's one of the reasons that this microphone is actually usually down there off of the stage. Um, we wanted it to be accessible. We wanted it to feel accessible to everyone in the body. It is something that we specifically discussed. And so I wanted to point out to you guys um, that there are a lot of even tiny little bitty things like the placement of a microphone in our kids and teens ministry um, that are done with very specific prayerfully considered reasons behind them. So if you see us do anything, um, ask. There's probably um, a reason. And if there's not a reason behind it, then ask us and that'll point out to us, hey, we need to ask God about this. Um, so anyway, so that's one of the reasons that the microphone is even down there off of the stage so that it could feel accessible to everybody. Uh, so recently we saw the evidence of this taking root in our kids' hearts. Um, just a few months ago during our testimony time, uh, we had five people come forward to give testimonies. One was an elder, Carrie, and uh, one was an adult visitor, and then three were kids, our TGP kids. What was amazing about that was that our kids um, were able to say what God was doing in their lives. They were able to say, I've seen God at work in my life. I've seen him answering prayers, or I... Um, I've seen him working around me. That's huge. That is huge. Because they not only saw those things, but they knew that they could share those things with our body. That's called agency. We gave our kids agency to share their stories of what God was doing in their lives and around them. That is amazing. And again, that is something that is just a, it blows me away what God does in in this body every year. We've always been a sending church, and we've always talked about sending people out. Have you ever imagined what it will look like when one day we send our kids out after they've grown up experiencing these things for themselves? I can't wait to see it. Um, but that gives me to a challenge that I want to give our church, and that is that kids need to see their parents and other adults in worship, not just in the adult songs, 
but in the monthly kids song. There's a reason that we have that. We have the monthly song, we have the same song for the entire month so that the kids can get comfortable with the melody and the words and they can feel confident in that song during the worship service. They, they can participate without trying to figure out, okay, what are the words? Because remember, a lot of our kids are still learning to read, so they can't easily look up at the screen and read the words like we can. So for them, it's a, it's a learning process. That is why we repeat the, the song uh, every week of the month. And kids by design are always looking at the adults around them to see what they're doing. And because it's because they imitate what they see. So if our kids see us not participating in something, then the chances are really good that they're not going to feel comfortable participating either because we've put that thought in the back of their head that maybe this isn't a cool thing to do. Maybe this isn't an okay thing to do. It's not what the adults around me are doing. So we as the adults have to lead by example. So my challenge to you is to get out of your comfort zone. Um, Do those motions with Miss Kara. She puts a lot of thought into them. Um, And a lot of times she even incorporates um, American Sign Language into those motions. So if you're uncomfortable with the thought of yourself doing like kids motions, you can tell yourself, actually, I'm doing sign language. This is much different. I am speaking a language. Um, And so even if it feels awkward for you, um, I'm challenging you to step into that awkward. We as adults have to choose to live in the awkward spaces for the sake of our kids. And the result that we'll see is that our kids will feel comfortable being themselves in worship, exactly as God created them, as wild and rambunctious and imaginative as they are. They can feel comfortable being themselves in worship because we've stepped into the uncomfortable zone for them. Um, And a second part of that challenge is this. Don't hate me. Um, I'm challenging our body. Uh, to make an effort to get here by 10.35 each week. There are important things that happen at the beginning of the worship service for our kids. So I'm not calling anybody out at all. I have no idea if you were here on time today or not. I really don't know, and I did not write this this morning. Um, And I've been there myself many, many times. I got five kids. I have been that parent. I know the struggle of getting here on time. I can only tell you the only thing that helped me, at least, this is a non-spiritual thing, this is just a thing that helped me, um, was I gave myself a responsibility on Sunday mornings that had to be done before worship. I chose to help out with something before worship, and that made it to where I had to be here before worship started. So now I'm here on time, you guys. I'm here every week on time. Um, And I'm still never here when I want to be here. I'm not here at the time I actually set myself to be here because I'm still horrible at being on time, you guys. But it gets me here before I'm here. So if if you're like me and you're like, I need a reason to be here on time, um, ask me if there's something you can help with. We actually could use some help with setting up those kids' baskets every week. So if you want to be the person who sets up the kids' baskets or puts the stuff in the... uh, Sunday school classroom for the kids before church, um, and that will help you to have that, um, please, um, we'd love to have your help with that. Um, So being here early ties into my next point. I'm asking us as a church, please pray for local families to feel comfortable on coming on Sundays. Wouldn't it be amazing if all of our kids and our teens from Wednesday night began to bring their families on Sunday mornings. That was beginning to happen before COVID struck and during the pandemic, understandably, that died down. Um, 
families would visit occasionally before the pandemic, but it seemed as if the adults never really felt comfortable staying. Um, and we're going to be digging into the reasons for all of that. Um, but I'm asking you to um, pray for that together as a church. Um, and that's where that ties into that challenge that I mentioned a minute ago. An important part of visitors coming is that we have to be here to welcome them. And I can tell you that when a visitor shows up at 1030 or 1035 and they're, they're the only person in the room or there's only a couple of other people in the room, it feels awkward for them because they don't know what to do. They don't know who to talk to. They don't know where to sit, you know. So my challenge is be here before worship starts so that if you see somebody that you don't know, you can go introduce yourself, invite them to sit with you or help them find a spot to sit, help them find a basket for their kids back there. We have ones for guests, um, but plan to be here and be ready to welcome them in. And we can't welcome them in if we're not here before the service starts. So let's work to take that awkward away for our families. Um, it, uh, it's going to be amazing one day when our church body is made up of people um, who know us, not just through our ministry outside of this neighborhood, but through our ministry within this neighborhood. My next thing is uh, the young men's group. Um, you probably know, I've said it, that our uh, ministry on Wednesday night stops at the age of 21. Prior to the pandemic, we had about 25 young men between the ages of 18 and 21 coming regularly. Not all at the same time, um, but it was always you know, a pretty good group of them that showed up. And we had even more young men over the age of 21 showing up. They were between the ages of 21 to 25, and we were turning them away. Because, understandably, we have to have a cutoff limit for age reasons. We have, we have kids also. We can't have... Um, grown, grown men in there with kids. So we had a reason for turning them away. Um, and that group died down a little during the pandemic, but it has picked up back again, picked back up again. These, what's interesting about that is that these young men knew that they were coming to a church. They knew that the gospel would be shared at some point during the night. There are plenty, not plenty, but there are quite a few other basketball um, courts available in town that are open to the public that they can go play at. But they choose to come here once a week knowing that we're going to stop the game at some point and share the gospel with them. And we've been turning those young men away. We have effectively been turning young men away from the gospel. And over the last two years, God has made it very clear to me that he doesn't want us to turn them away anymore. And he's confirmed it again and again. So we're going to be stepping out in faith and starting a young men's ministry on a separate night. Um, it's going to be on Thursday nights, and it's going to be from for the ages of 16 to 25. We're going to let our 16 through 18-year-olds um, choose and they can come on Wednesday nights and come to the uh, the teens stuff, or they can go with the um, uh, young men's group on Thursday nights. They're going to be able to come to both because there is an overlap for them uh, socially and developmentally uh, that starts around 16 years old. So 16 to 25 years old on 
Thursday nights, and we need to start this ministry as soon as possible um, because these young men are already coming. They are already here, and we are turning them away. We've already budgeted for it this year. Um, Will is willing to give a short devotional during the night. We just need more adults to be there in order for us to open the doors safely. Um, So please pray about being one of those adults. It's not going to look like Wednesday nights. It's going to be much grittier and much more like starting from scratch. And uh, while I'm asking you to pray about being one of those adults, I'm not asking you to spend a long time, months and months, praying about this and then coming and making this decision. I'm actually asking for you to let this be one of those things that you are praying about and then walking in and continuing to pray about it. So um, I'm saying come for a week or two and be asking God, God, am I supposed to keep doing this or am I not supposed to come? And there's going to be no judgment if you come for two weeks and then say, ah, God said I'm not supposed to do this. And then you step back out. No judgment on that one. Um, But I I don't want to make that, uh, the request of asking you to pray for it, I don't want to make that real big in your head and and feel intimidating and like I've got to, uh, you know, spend forever praying about this and get a very, very specific word for God. God is going to give you that word, I promise. So I'm asking you to step out and say, God, do you want me to do this? I'm going to be doing this. Do you want me to keep doing this or do you want me to stop doing this? Um, So please pray about being one of those adults. We need to start very soon. Um, we've all seen that this ministry is filled with young, this ministry, the city, this city is filled with young men who don't know the Lord. So what if God is calling us as a church to be a part of that change, to be a vessel that's bringing the gospel to this corner of Alexandria, to be a church who walks alongside these young men as they come to know the Lord and grow in their relationship with him? And then something else that we're going to need for 2022, changing age ranges here. Going down to the little kids, we need a couple more Sunday school teachers. Um, Right now we have our one classroom that is pre-K and kindergarten. What we really need is a two to four-year-old's classroom and then a kindergarten through second grade classroom. And we almost have enough teachers who have volunteered um, to help out with that, but we just need a couple more. Um, So please pray about doing that. It's not hard. It goes by really, really fast. You can ask any of the teachers who have have done it so far in this classroom um, because you're spending worship in here as a corporate body with the kids, with the adults and everything. You're only going back in the back during the, uh, the sermon. And so it's actually a really fast time. It's not as scary as you think it is. Um, and we're going to need a couple of resources for that classroom. We've got, got some walls that need to be painted. Um, we still haven't fixed the toilet in the, this other classroom, and we really need that done. So we need a couple of hands-on things there, but what we, we can get that done. What we ultimately need is just a couple more people willing to be Sunday school teachers. Um, And then the next thing is I want to say thank you to our volunteers. Again, I only get to do this from up here once a year. Thank you to our Wednesday night team. I won't make y'all stand up this year. Not everybody is here either. Um, 
And But it amazes me the percentage of the body of our church that is involved in our kids and teens ministry. I'm so grateful for each one of you. I'm so honored to get to do ministry alongside you. You are seen. You are loved. You are valued. Um, and uh, you are a blessing to this church body. Um, also, we welcomed Janet. She's not able to be here this morning, but we welcomed her, her to our Wednesday night team as well. This is another example of God providing. Um, the Renards had to move. Cassandra was doing our meals on Wednesday nights, and when they told us that they were going to be moving, I was like, God, what are we going to do? Cassandra's got this, you know, the meal thing like on lockdown. She's got it down great. And now we need somebody else to do meals. And like all of our other volunteers had already had other places where they were serving on Wednesday nights. It was like, what are we going to do? And like that week, I think it was that week or the next week, like it was very, very quickly, Janet came up and was like, hey, God's told me that I need to help out with the meals. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, um, for sending Janet. So um, I hope she hears this, that, that, or Craig, just tell her that um, we are so appreciative of her for listening to God and coming and serving with us on Wednesday nights. Um, and our Sunday school teachers, our Sunday morning team, those who've stepped up to, to work in the classroom on Sunday mornings, thank you so much. You are a godsend. Our church has been praying for this for the last couple of years, um, and we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for being willing to pour into our kids' lives on Sunday mornings. Um, the next thing is, I wanted to say as a church, thank you for your gifts. We know that all of this money, all of this money, all of this takes money. All of this ministry that we're doing takes money. It costs money to buy the food that we, we serve, the supplies that we need. It, it costs money. Um, and God has provided for this ministry in amazing ways through your gifts. And I wanted to say thank you for being part of God's provision. I want you to know that each of your gifts are appreciated and that second only to our amazing volunteers, your tithes and your offerings have been the biggest godsend to this ministry. So thank you guys. Thank you for supporting it each week. You are, um, it is not taken for granted. With every single bag of chips that we open on Wednesday nights, it is not taken for granted that you have provided that bag of chips or that hot dog or the paper that we use to make copies on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then finally, our trust is in God alone. This is our my last thing that I want to say is that it doesn't matter the words that we use, the monthly song that we sing every Sunday, how talented our amazing teachers and volunteers are, because those things are just tools. We don't put our faith in them. Our faith is in God. He is the only one who changes hearts, and we're going to continue to put our trust in Him alone for the spiritual growth of our kids and our teens. So thank y'all. I love y'all. Let's keep doing this in 2022. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I appreciate y'all clapping because I was fixing to ask you too if you didn't. Um, Bethany wouldn't like me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. She works this like it's a full-time job, and we really appreciate you, babe. Um, we wouldn't be where we are without her, and I know you guys know that, but it's good to say it out loud. Um, I shared with you guys a few weeks ago that I've been meeting with a group of other pastors from Sin Law um, with the goal of simply getting to know each other. And I'm going to talk more about that later, but I wanted to remind you of something I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. 
we, I hosted one of those meetings here, and we had, it was a small group of pastors, there were five or six of us, and we just kind of, as we were meeting here, the, the, I'll be honest, they were shocked that I was a pastor at a church in this neighborhood um, for obvious reasons, and so we began to talk about ministry and why we do the things we do, um, and they were blown away, not because of the kind of programs or the way that we do it, but because of the heart that's behind it, and, and we have to attribute that to God and, and then Bethany for being obedient to lead us in that. Our goal has always been to love this community so that they can know the love of God. That's our reason for doing this. Earlier I mentioned that there are some new things that God has spoken for our body. And there are some that we haven't fully realized yet. Some things that God has told us to do, but we haven't fully gotten there quite yet. I think it's always going to be that case that we haven't fully realized what God's called us to or his vision. Because his vision is so much bigger than we are. I'm blown away on Wednesday nights in particular because of the, the volume of ministry that God does through our body. Um, it, is, it is significant. One of the most significant things that God has told us to do is to love this community. And I'm thankful for Bethany's leadership and commitment to that end. Um, as she just shared, there's a lot more work to be done. And I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and that's what's going to kind of bring us to what we're going to talk about this morning. I've been praying for the last few months about what God would have us focus on for the next year. And I keep coming back to the idea of love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We love. And I'm not talking about a feeling of love, but being motivated by love that we experience from God to share that with other people. That our motivation to share the gospel will be the love that we experience from God. Um, a love that sees what other people don't see and is motivated to act as the Holy Spirit opens our senses to the people around us. In preparing to share with you guys this morning, God brought me to the book of 1 John. And I want you to look with me at the introduction that John gives in this letter that he's writing to a church. Read with me 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. John says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want you to listen to those first couple of verses again. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have observed, what we have touched with our hands. For the last year, we've been learning what it means to share our story, to live in the redemptive story that God has for every man and woman. We have spent a year identifying ourselves as people of God, people in a redemptive story. We have learned to see, to observe. We have learned to hear. We have learned to touch God through ministry. And God's goal for us in this next year is to take all of the things that we've learned over the past year and to share that. That's what John's talking about in this introduction to this letter. He's saying all of the things that we know of God that we have learned by experience, we are to share that with one another. In writing this letter, John opens it by telling them that the things that they have experienced of God are the most important things in their life. 
period. That's our goal for us this year. It's to see that the work that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of people around us is the most important thing for us. They're so important, in fact, that they should be our priority and that we should share the things that God has done with us. I was reading a commentary that Charles Spurgeon did on 1 John, and look at what he says about this first verse. He says, concerning the word of life, there is something that every believer can do for his Lord. He must be able to tell of what he has tasted and handled of the word of life. And if he has not tasted and handled it, then he is not a child of God at all. The best teaching in the world is experimental. Nothing wins upon men like personal witnessing. Not merely teaching the doctrine as we find it in the book, but as we have felt it in its living power upon our own hearts. When we begin to tell of its effect upon ourselves, it is wonderful what power there is upon us in that testimony. Our testimony what we have experienced of God, what we see in God, what we have seen God do, and what, we do, what God has done in our lives has the power to change not only our own lives, but the lives of all the people that live around us. And a little later in this commentary, Charles Spurgeon tells a story of a friend of his who is beginning to tell him about this new medication that has come out. <laughs> I knew Mickey would look up at that. This new medication... It's come out, here's what it does, here's how you administer it, and here's the effects it has. And Charles Spurgeon says, I had no interest in it at all. He said, but if this same friend who was on his deathbed came to me in complete health and said, let me tell you about this new drug that has completely healed me, I am now interested. I think for a long time the church has looked at the gospel as a medication. And we read it in the Word, and we see the effect that it should have on our life and on the lives around us, and we share that formula with people. And I think what God is telling us as a body, that it is time for us to stop looking at the gospel as a formula for change and begin to share the change that God has done in our lives. That we no longer share a formula, we share a story. What a great way to look at how the church has historically shared the gospel how many times have we tried to describe the fix of a problem rather than addressing how god has fixed that problem in our own lives spurgeon points out the things that the apostles learned they learned in order that they might share that with other people so the things that you are learning of god are not for you alone but specifically for you to share what you have learned with other people God has been working in our lives and, ex and with the expressed purpose of us sharing what he has done for us with other people. So the second thing I want to say today is that we share. Historically, that's been a frightening thing for us to consider. Uh, things pop in my mind like, you mean to tell me I have to tell other people how God dealt with the sin in my life? Yes. Yes, you do. By sharing how our struggle and how God delivered us from that, we reveal to the world the truth about who God is. The young lady that Rachel mentioned this morning, I don't know her story, but there's a good chance that she's like so many other people who have had bad encounters with people who called themselves followers of God. And the only thing that she knows of God is hypocrisy and sin and filthiness. My goal, our goal, God's goal for us this year is for us to share our stories of our own sin, of our own filthiness, and how God has redeemed us. 
And by doing so, it's going to open up people's hearts and their minds to receive the gospel. To see that they are not a sinner who needs a God. They will see that we are sinners who need God. One of the reasons that we don't share what God's doing is because we think it's going to bring shame on us. I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine about that not too long ago. He said, but Will, if I, if I share this story, people might think something negatively about me. I can tell you from personal experience that's simply not true. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago some testimony about God dealing with the sin in my life and how I handled a funeral director here in town. I did not do it well. And I can't tell you how many people have come to me over the last several weeks and thanked me for sharing that story because it helped them to see sin in their own life and helped them to address it and let God deal with it. Sharing God's work in our lives is bigger than us just avoiding shame. Look what John goes on to say in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 1. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's writing so that our joy may be complete. That phrase may sound familiar to you, and that's because Jesus said something very similar that John is referencing. Look at John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So what did Jesus just tell them? He's saying, I just told you this so your joy may be complete. So what did he say? I'm glad you asked, okay? He reveals to the disciples what it means to abide. This passage is one that we're familiar with, but pick up with me in verse 6 because Jesus describes the struggle that we were just discussing. In verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is telling the disciples that they are to abide in him. And he goes on to say in verse 6, That any that choose not to will wither away and be thrown into the fire. If we want to grow in our relationship with God, we must abide. If we want to experience the joy that God has for us, this joy that Jesus talks about and this joy that John is describing, if we want our joy to be complete, the only way to make that happen is to abide. If we don't, we're going to wither away. Let's keep reading John chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The power of God to make significant change in our own lives and the lives of those around us is found in abiding in Christ. If your life feels broken, if you feel like there's nowhere to go from here, the answer is to abide. If there are loved ones in your life that are suffering, the answer for them is for you to abide so that they can see God working in your life and go, I want that for myself. If you just feel like you're in a spiritual slump, the answer to that is to abide. If your goal is to experience joy in life and to bring others joy, the answer to that is to abide. You see where I'm going here? All that we need comes from abiding. He says in John chapter 15, verse 11, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The key to experiencing joy in our lives is found in an abiding relationship with God. So the next thing is we experience joy. I guarantee you there's not a person in this room and you can't find a person in your life 
who does not want to experience joy. You won't be able to find somebody. I know for a fact that you all want joy. I know that you want the people that you love to know joy. And Jesus is telling us, and John is telling us, that if we want to experience complete joy, we abide in Christ. Number one, abiding is the thing that God has spoken and, we'll sti- and we still haven't fully realized yet. That's what I was talking about earlier. God has told us for a long time that our goal is to abide. And we haven't fully realized it yet because we're not dead. Okay? There is more for us to learn. And the second thing that God's speaking in for us this year is that what God is making new for us is loving people in a way that we have not loved people before. Look at what John continues to say in verses 12 through 13. He says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. We're going to spend this year learning what it means to love people like Jesus loves us. We love like Jesus. That is our goal. I shared with you a few weeks ago that we're going to kick off this season with a book study. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, please order it today. It's called Love Like That by Dr. Uh, I'm having a brain fart. Parrot, Dr. Parrot. Okay, it's on Kindle for $4 if you want to do it that way, uh, or you can order it through Amazon. But for the next two months, starting next week, we're going to learn from Dr. Les Parrot what it means to love like Jesus. And I'm so excited for us to learn that together. It's not, it, it takes um, the things that happen in our brain in addition to the things that happen in our heart and brings those together with the gospel for us to, to see how and why Jesus loved the way that he did. And it's going to change the way that we love other people as well. I believe that the goal that God has set before us is to intentionally invest in the lives of others so that all of us can experience the joy that Jesus was talking about. As we read this book, discuss it, and move into studying John's life, we're going to flesh out what that looks like for each of us. So I'm not going to stand here before you today and say loving like Jesus looks like this. What I'm saying is we're going to, we're going to read this book together. And then we're going to say, God, what does this look like? in my life? What does this look like in your life and the people that you do life with? We're going to experience firsthand what it looks like to personally lay down our lives for our friends. TGP West is already a great church, but we want to be more than we already are. We want to follow Jesus to the degree that our lives are centered around him and loving others. And there's a few opportunities that God has already revealed to us today. Some of what Bethany shared. We got Wednesday night ministries. We have modeling worship for our children during Sunday services. We have praying for families in our communities to feel comfortable and to be available to meet that need by being here on time. By volunteering to serve with our new young men's group. Volunteering to lead a Sunday school class. And through our faithful giving to support the ministries that God's called us to. And I just, I want to say this too in terms of our giving. We don't talk about giving a whole lot. But you guys all saw our budget at the beginning of the year and there's not a whole lot in it. We're a small body and cash flow is always an issue. I want us as we're thinking about what ministry is going to look like for all of us for the next year to be re-engaged in our giving. To not just give out of habit but to talk about that regularly with God and make sure that you're giving what he's called you to give whether that's less or, or, or it's more. Either one's okay. But I want us to be intentional about how we give and understand that that money is not going in my pocket. A little bit of it, a small amount, okay? I get paid just a tiny bit. 
But that money is how we do ministry in this community, and it's how we do ministry across the globe. Over 50% of our budget is in missions, which means it is affecting the lives of people around us, not just here, here, but also in other parts of the world. It's significant. Central Louisiana Interfaith is what I mentioned a couple of times already. I mentioned it this morning, but it is an organized group of pastors, rabbis, priests, and nonprofit leaders that are intentionally building personal relationships with one another. This is something that I've prayed about for years and didn't know how to orchestrate it. And then God sent this guy, Ben Nugent Peterson, here to Sinla to start an organization called Central Louisiana Interfaith. And it's pastors, it's rabbis, it's nonprofit leaders, uh, priests that are coming together with, a, with one goal, and that's to know one another personally. Not to know who someone is, but to eat together, to have coffee together, to know what makes a person tick, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy. And it's been so fun to get to meet with some of those pastors and get to realize how similar our goals and our ministries are. The, the fruit of all of that is when something happens that affects our communities, we have an established relationship that we can default to so that we can enact, we can act together as a unit. To know that this is happening in Pastor Green's community, which is over off of Bolton Street, and it's going to impact him. How can we as a body support their ministry and what's going on in their community? I had a uh, lunch last week with another pastor, Pastor Kurtz, who is not far from here. He's in Kellyland, which if you go towards the airport and then over by uh, on Highway 1, just before you get to McDonald's and take a right, there's a little church there in Kellyland that Pastor Kurtz is the pastor of. And I know him. We had lunch together, and we laughed, and we cut up, and we talked about ministry, we talked about raising kids, and we had a great time. Our God has called for me to meet with those pastors and to know them and to love them, but there's a role that you can play in this. We're going to have a kickoff event on May the 24th, I believe. There's a picture in there that's got a bunch of faces on it. There it is. It's kind of hard to see. Also, they put a headshot of me wearing a cat suit. Kitty cat's on the suit, not Batman cat suit. That'd be weird. Um, but they pulled that off. Of, ben pulled that off of Facebook. And I was like, dude, that's got cats on that suit. And he's like, you can't tell. It looks great. So May the 24th from 630 to 8 p.m. It's in Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we're asking for delegates to go to that meeting, okay? And here's what a delegate does. Y'all ready? This is the big ask. A delegate goes to the meeting, this one meeting, that's it, okay? The reason that we're asking our church members to come is it's showing this community, central Louisiana, the commitment that each of our churches, each of our places of worship has to bettering the community of Sin Law. We're committed to that already, church. We do that every Wednesday night. We're fixing to start another ministry on Thursday nights to do the same thing. And so I'm asking you to give up an hour and a half on a, thir on a Tuesday night on May the 24th to go to Emmanuel Baptist Church and to just go together as a group and say, we are the Gathering Place West. We love this community and we want everybody to know. Okay, that's an, uh, a, a really important ministry that I'm excited about. The other thing that God's going to have us work on this year um, is the growth of our life groups. I've been... Uh, going to the life group at the Felters for what, a couple of months, three, four months now? It's been a while. Um, and really, really enjoying that. But my intent in going was not to lead that life group permanently, but to, um, to get a leader in place and so that the leader was comfortable and the life group was comfortable. Craig Austin's leading that life group now. He's been affirmed by the elders to lead that group. He's been affirmed by the group. They're comfortable with him. And it's been really, really good. And I, I was sharing with them last week, I'm, I'm fixing to be gone from there. 
I've shared with you guys before that um, God's called me to help start another life group. And I think this Thursday night, or this yeah, young men's group, we're going to treat that just like a life group because that's what it's going to function as. And so I'm going to help get that thing kicked off, and then we'll see what God has us done from there. But here's what I want us to recognize about all of our life groups. You go to any, we got two on Sunday nights. One meets at the Miller's house, one that meets at the Westbrook's house. Um, and then we got the one on Monday nights that's at the Felter's house. If you go to any of those life groups, they are already beyond their capacity. They're too big. And I say that they're too big because once you get past about six or eight people, and if those people have children, that's too many people in a house. It's hard on the host homes. It's hard to have really intimate discussions with a group when it gets too big. God wants us to grow our life groups, but in order to do that, we've got to have more host homes. We've got to have more life group leaders. And I know we look around a room like this and like, well, there's not that many other people here. Remember, our goal for this year is to love people like Jesus, to specifically invest in their lives. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be the people that God's called us to be, we need a place for those people to come and sit and study the word and live in community together. If we all go out, start this month, we learn to love like Jesus, and we start trying to bring all our friends to life group, you're going to show up on a Monday or a Sunday night, and there's going to be way more people than we have chairs. So I'm, God's getting us prepared mentally to be thinking about it's time to launch new life groups, okay? And I know that that feels uncomfortable when we talk about launching new life groups because we like our groups, right? Shake your head, yes. This is the part where you agree, okay? We love our life groups and we love the people in them. It was very difficult. I've been leading a life group that was meeting at the Westbrook's house for like six years, either hosting or leading. And it was difficult to leave that group. I love those people. And I'm gonna go back and visit, by the way, okay? But in order for our church to grow, we have to be willing to let God move us where he needs us. We're ascending church, right? Sometimes that means getting sent across the city. Sometimes it means just getting sent to a different house. Last thing, I'm excited for what God has for us in 2022. And my prayer is that you are too. You know the feeling that you get right before you go on vacation? I don't know if y'all feel these or not, but you're excited. There's a lot of anticipation. You're thinking about the destination. If you're like me, you're thinking about the trip to the destination. That's just as much fun. It's like you're getting ready to go on an adventure, but also at the same time, you pull out of the driveway and you're like, oh, did I turn the curling iron off? Did I turn the coffee pot off? Did we set the dishwasher? You know, you're thinking about all the things. Did I do? Did I do? Did I do? There's so many emotions that get wrapped up just as you're getting ready to go on a trip. And I don't know about you, but I have all those same emotions today. I'm really, really excited about the ministry that God's going to have us do. Not because I just like doing stuff, but because Jesus said, if we'll obey his commands, our joy is going to be made complete through our obedience. That's what we talked about today. John talked about it too. God wants to do a work in our lives to change us, to be more like him, to bring more joy, more happiness, more smiles, more laughter into our life. But in order to experience more than we have right now, we've got to be obedient to God and do what he's called us to do. God's got a grand adventure for us this year, and I can't wait to experience all of that adventure with all of you guys. I love y'all very much. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the, the vision that you have cast today for your people and all the ministries that you've called us to and in our personal lives and in the lives of this church. God, I ask that as we leave from here today, as we close out in worship, that our focus wouldn't be on just what are we having for lunch or what are the things we got to get left done today. Father, I ask that you give us some time to, to really dive into what does this look like for me?
Father, as we prepare to learn to love like you, I ask that you would soften our hearts. Get us in the right state of mind to receive the words that you have for us. To make us more like you are. Jesus, I'm so excited about what you're doing in my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters. God, I ask that you would would keep us motivated by your love and not just by excitement. Father, let this be deeper than that. Jesus, I ask these things in your name. Amen.